Hi everyone, thank you for listening to the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya and this is episode number 35. My guest today is the incredible co-founder of the band The Go-Betweens and of course a formidable solo artist. Uh, This is my chat with Robert Forster. Uh, Robert and I have known each other for a little while. We have a certain German-ness in common and talk a little bit about this. Uh, I was lucky enough to have him sing on my second album. We did a song together in German called Die Wolken. Anyway, it was super lovely to catch up with him between both of our overseas trips. We ate German cake that his wife Karen made for us. Uh, So this is our chat full of cake and tea and after a couple of hours of talking about our feelings. uh, So it's a nice continuation of that kind of vibe. Robert's strange show story experience was illustrated by Matt Brady. Uh, Matt does beautiful illustrations and you can see more of his work on Instagram at Matthew underscore C underscore Brady. Uh, Remember, you can see all illustrations on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Oh, and if you are an artist or if you know someone who is a great illustrator, I'm always looking for people to do illustrations. So drop me a line. Uh, I really do love hearing from you all. Here it is, Hearsay Podcast number 35, Robert Forster. Hey, um, thank you so much for chatting to me, Robert. So it's no I, problem. I really appreciate it. I know it's, you know, you've been away, you've been to Germany. Yeah. Um, you've been doing all kinds of things. Yeah. You've got a kid in high school. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tough, tough times. Well, yeah, it's a balance. You know, there's all these different things that are going on and it's a balance between the public and private too. Yeah. You know, like... Uh, there's just things that are going on really close to you that if you yourself have got to mix with a, some sort of work going out to the public, doing shows, doing interviews. Yeah. Um, um, it's, it's, it's that public and private mixing them together, which we do well in the house. Um, and, and in a way I'm probably far more domestic than people may imagine <laughs> it's nice to actually see you at your house yeah i yeah. often run into you in places that you know out and or at gigs and yeah, yeah. it's really nice to see home robert yeah well it's it's home robert is the main robert yes you know um and also because you know like i'm uh you know if you'd have met me in my 20s or 30s i'd have been um uh, a very different person. Yeah. And uh, so this is a very, you know, like enjoyable phase of my life. I bet. Mm. Is public Robert a different Robert? Um, it is It is to an extent. Um, uh, I probably get a little bit more recognised in Brisbane than I do in other places. And so that can always surprise you. You yeah. know, like... Uh, um, and it can be anywhere, you know, um, um, and it's growing to an extent. <laughs> In Brisbane, just because I've got older and, and the go-betweens and what I do has become more codified in Brisbane cultural life. Um, so it can be quite broad. You, I can be anywhere and someone will come up. Or, it, But I, I'm not, it's not like I'm in Powderfinger or anything like that. <laughs> you know, I'm not Bernard Fanning or, or Hoagie or, or someone. I imagine they'd get a lot worse. Uh, it's a particular. Oh no! It's a broad, broad variety of people. Um, and so, do you ever wish it didn't happen? Do you ever just no, go, oh, no? I, wish I, I find could it just fine. Go the I find it fine. Yeah. Um, but I, I think probably the biggest a misconception um, about myself, and it's also I think broader around performers, is that people see you on stage and think you're an outgoing person. Um. Which it is for some people, but for most performers I know, and especially for myself, 
I'm quite shy and withdrawn. Um, and so people, people find that confusing, and which I, I totally understand, mm. you know. Um, I, I'm not uh, – and I've been like this, <clears throat> you know, my whole life. You know, I've never been a particularly social person. And so people see you on stage and, you know, me in film clips doing this or that and they assume that off stage I'm this fantastic life of the party <laughs> um, and which I'm, I'm never really been. The times that I was more was when I was younger and I was drinking. Yeah. And so I was a lot more – I found that uh, relationship between being um, – in a band and on stage and, and having a public profile, however small it was, to my private life, I, I, w I was a little bit more like I was on stage and off stage in private as well. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, drinking and drugs will, will, will do that to you. It, it meshes. It yeah. meshes. <laughs> um, where as soon as you stop drinking or you get a bit older, they separate, you know, and, and I become a lot more like what I was when I was – and like my late teens, yeah, I, right. You know, um, when I didn't drink or 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 take drugs or yeah. smoke or anything, um, it was interesting when I I came to see you play at the junk bar down the road. So you I, did like eight nights or something crazy yeah, like six, that, and yeah. six nights. Um, and I found, I don't know if you know this is happening. I suppose you probably have quite a bit of self realization having done music for so long. But as soon as you got on stage and started playing, yeah. The mood in the room changed. Yeah. I felt like you completely like, commandeered the yeah. room. You you have like a huge amount of confidence yeah. and everyone was just silent. Yeah. Um, do you know that's happening? Yes. Um, do you know when that started happening for you? Well, it happened automatically when I was in a band, when I was with the Go-Betweens. Um, I always sort of felt like that um, because mainly because, you know, you're playing electric music and... And um, everyone else in the band was confident. And, you know, I'd look over and I'd see Grant, you know, and I, so I was like, okay, you know, like we can do anything type um, force we had. Um, and also, you know, having Lindy and then Robert Vickers and Amanda and, and then with Glenn and Adele, it was the same, you know. And um, But as a solo performer, it was just... I always come back to the, the, the thing is I've got good songs um, yeah. and I'll just lean on my work. Um, and the other bits about how to walk on stage, how to, how to be in control, how to um, gain everyone's attention, how to, how to hold a crowd – um, I've just learned through experience. Yeah. Um, nothing more. It was really obvious because not everyone has that. And even not everyone has that who's been doing it as long as you. I just remember that feeling of being super impressed that I was in oh. the presence of someone who just fucking nailed it. Well, well thank you. Um, <laughs> but there, there, are, there are certain tricks you learn. Like, like one of them, which, which I do, um, is if there's talking... I play quieter. Oh. And what it does is so their voices are louder and people start to turn to them and they'll start to realise that they're actually talking louder than I'm playing and they'll shut up. Yeah. Where other people might go, oh, people are talking, I'll play louder. That only en enables them to keep on talking. That's true. So that's something I occasionally do. Mm. Um, There's just lots of little things like that. And again, it only comes through experience really yeah so i was telling you before i've just reread your book oh yeah i love the way that you talk about your wife oh yeah i love the way that you talk about her germanness because yeah. i can really relate to yeah. the germanness that you yeah. talk about <laughs> yeah definitely did you did you run any of that stuff past her before you published um, it i was that was that was um a really tender area mm -hmm. um because I wanted to just give her the place that she had in my life, um, especially at that moment that we met um, and what I saw in her 
and what I hope she saw in me and do that justice. Um, and But at the same time, you don't want to then throw the book into, oh, it's just bloomed into a 50-page love story <laughs> and it's too much. Yeah. You know? um, and, and, and Karen is, is someone who doesn't necessarily search for that space in a public sense as yeah. well. So she was almost like, you know, like um, less is more. Um, and – but I, I think uh, my my private life and, and, and the people that I've been close to, I've worked with. You know, like I've never been someone – and perhaps, you know, like perhaps I'm going off on a tangent here, but – Perfectly I, fine. But I've never <laughs> been someone – I didn't sort of go, okay, you know, like with the Gogo Twins and with Grant, we we weren't five guys who started a band and we were like really sort of – what's what we are talking about before? Pro-musos and our private lives were these things way off, way off to the side. And I see this now more as I'm getting older and I've, I've seen it for a while is that – is that I've always played music and put into my music world people that are close to me. And so it was never this sort of, I'm in a really successful rock band and I've got this private thing over here and we're all musos and we're caught up in this uh, big muso dream. You know, like when, when Grant, when I started making with Grant, he was my best friend and I taught him how to play because I had these songs. So yeah. that's the dynamic from the start is professional musicians are nowhere near us. And, and technical proficiency is not near us. And so that has always been how I view music and my musical life has been playing with friends and people that I know. And so Karen, in a way, when, when we came, came together, it, it was, it was um, and that's in a, in a way her presence in the book, you know, and her, her great place in the book besides anything else is because my creative life my private life is quite close yeah and um and 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 my story to tell is not you know the, we're in three tour buses driving from chicago to cleveland and that's when i learned that our album and single were at number one do you <laughs> know what i mean all of that sort of stuff um, yeah, it was a really it's a personal story. I love the way yeah. that you talk about your relationships. And and that's why, you know, Karen and I are playing music together. We've just done yeah. an album together. Um She's playing violin. Yeah, and singing. And playing Glockenspiel, you know. Um and we've just done it in Berlin in um in June. And I guess what I'm trying to say is is that I've in a quite natural way it's not trying to separate things into this is me as as rock star musician and and private you know and it's all sort of um been been one and admitting that yeah you know, and that's beautiful. and putting that into my story and putting that into my songs um and not being afraid to to me anyone that likes my music and knows me will will find that not strange that I'm writing about my wife. I have no other image to sell. I love that. And also because I love your wife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you two have always been my um, my beautiful tall German friends in Good. Brisbane. Good. <laughs> I, uh, I remember actually I think one of the first times I met you we spoke German yeah. instantly. Yeah. Um, and we've always done that when we've yeah. run into each other, yeah. which has been really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's why I connected so much with that part of the book. I just really love the way that you talked about the the Germanness in her and the. <laughs> yeah, no. It, well, it it was very. Um, I immediately saw, as I say in the book, a gravity about Cara. You know, like a, um, a Mister Whole myriad of qualities, a steadiness. Um, you know, like just a sense of of truth about herself. And a lot of those qualities are regarded as German. You know, she's sort of very strong and steady. Um, and But that part of, of my life, I, I really recognised that and, and I was in perhaps in need of that. Yeah. And, and 
in in a way through her, it brought me into Germany. You know, like I, I we toured there quite a lot, as mm. I say in the book. And um, and I've always found um, there's many many misconceptions about Germans, and and uh, and I find them an, an amazing. Some of my deepest and dearest friends uh, are Germans, and a lot of you know um, cultures are misunderstood. But I think Germans are high on the list. I agree, of but do, but I think sometimes the uh, you know the the broad image of Germans is recognised a bit in the cultural stereotype. There are a lot of people that are the way that they're stereotyped. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're, and it's the same with Australians, yeah. you know, or, or people that are Greek and, you know, they do something and you go, oh, that's very Greek, yes. you know. Um, but um, I don't know. I find Germans, they're, they're very true. And they're, they're, if, if you have a, a, uh, someone that, that, that you know is German and they become a friend, they become a friend in a deep way for life. Yeah. Um, and and there's there's a lot of other countries where the people are a lot more outgoing and lively and um, unconventional and whatever. Um, but when you get beneath that, there mightn't be those bonds that they have with you, you know. It looks like on the surface, you know, we're all partying and we're standing on tables drinking and we're <laughs> dancing on the beach – but, and the Germans mightn't be doing that, you know, because they're not living in those climates perhaps. But, like, there's a, a truthfulness and there's a steadiness and there's a, a depth to, you know, besides that outside occasionally prickly aspect to German people, once you get to know them they've, and they like you, it's lifelong, you yeah, know, that's which nice. I really appreciate. I really yeah. like that. Hey, I want to talk to you about, you're talking about making connections with Germans and, and other people on mm. tour. Do you have a tour that sticks out where you, you know, you connected so deeply with the support band or the band that you were supporting that you made lifelong friends? Oh, look, odd things. Um, Orange Juice. Um, yeah, there's you lots of You talk about band. them a lot in your book. Yeah, Orange Juice, um, The Birthday Party. Um, but then odd bands like band, band um, like this, you know, uh, called the Libertines. That no one, it's not the Libertines you might be thinking of the famous or semi-famous English band but we when we were in Switzerland in the 80s and we played with this band called the Libertines and um, we did like one or two shows with them this is in the 80s and so now every time I go back to Switzerland um, I see a couple members from that band that's lovely and um, a guy who was the lead singer and uh songwriter of the band, a guy called Martin Shorey, um, actually did the cover photo for uh, the Friends of Rachel Worth, the Go-Betweens album. So, you know, like, I mean, bands and tours are a fantastic way uh, to build up those friendships. Are you a person that stays in touch? No, I'm a bad correspondent. <laughs> I am. I don't know. It's it's a solitary thing that I have. Um, I'm also, you know, like a, a full-time musician trying to earn a living in this um, music business. Yeah. And, man, that that's a 72-hour-a-week job. Yeah. You know, like you've got to be at the desk. You've got to be writing. You've got to be hustling and thinking and working. Yeah. Um, How are you at hustling? Um, I can do a bit of hustling. <laughs> um, I can be blunt occasionally. Um, do you have a manager? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I have two. So you have people that can hustle for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I, w- I would need that, you know. Um, um, also, I haven't got an administrative mind. I've, I've got – it's almost so cliched I've got a, an artistic mind. And so I find the paperwork of life quite difficult. Yeah. I'd prefer to just drift. <laughs> I, I could wake up and just be lost in books – the guitar, writing, um, never pay a bill and just sort of float. <laughs> I dream of convents and monks and nuns that that live that life, you know, as few strings attached as possible and just to really dive deep into what you do. Yeah. Um, and so that doesn't make me a great correspondent or – but I, I am in – I know so many people and I, I am in touch with them. I, if you ask for reviews from my friends, they'd be very um, 
varied. Some people would say, you know, he's a terrible correspondent and he's rude or, you know, like just not there. And other people would, would be, oh, he's great. He's always been in contact and he's always been really good. And so, and I can see that within myself, you yeah. know. Um, but there's part of me that I can't cover all fronts and do my work at the same time. Was Grant better at keeping in touch or was he good at keeping in touch? Grant was a lot more social than I was, um, a lot more outgoing off stage, a lot more comfortable with people, mm. which you wouldn't have guessed if you were in the audience watching a go-between show. You'd think I was that guy and Grant was the quiet guy. But he also, um, um, like I stopped drinking, he, he kept drinking. Um, so he was always up for after a show, you know, he'd go to a bar and stuff like that. And, and so a lot of pe- people met him that way. Yeah, that's I run I into people. Yeah. You know, I run into people all the time, you know, I, you know, I sat up with Grant all night. Yeah. And he was talking <laughs> and he was telling me this and he was so encouraging and so amazing. And I go, yep, that sounds exactly like him, you know. Yeah. Um, but he was, but then, it's just, you know, it goes back and forth. He never had a computer. So who was in contact with the management and who was sort of doing all of that side in the last, say, six years of the band's life was me. Yeah. You know, like, so I was the person that was awake and up at nine o'clock in the morning. I email from manager. I phone the manager. We're talking. And then I'd see Grant. You know, I'd phone him up in the afternoon because I knew he'd woken up by then and, oh, this is what our manager said. So I was doing that, but then if you saw us at the gig, he'd be the one that was – he and he, he was living in share houses. He didn't have children. So yeah, this allowed life. a whole lot of a social life, uh, a romantic life yeah. um, that was far broader and far easier to conduct than what I could do – with a family in suburbia. Do you think that the way that you guys lived um, in the last while, while you were having, a, you had a family, yeah. did that change the the content of your songs? Like, did you come to songwriting from totally different perspectives, having lived totally different lives at that time? I think so. Um, I I was I'm always putting things that are fairly close to my life in my songs. Um, so. Like probably, you know, like the best rock song I wrote in that second period of the go-betweens, like a song called Here Comes the City. Yeah, it's a great what, song. Yeah, it was all about, you know, um, Karen and the children and I in a train, you know, like I know I've told the story going from Regensburg to Frankfurt Airport, which we did many times to get the Qantas flight out here. So, you know, like I, I actually wrote this song in this room, amazingly enough. <laughs> um, um, and like I knew I had you know, one of the best melodies I'd had in years. So I could have written about anything. Yeah. You know, I could have easy gone in any direction. But it was a family song and, and quite a close one to me, although you wouldn't really know it um, once you know that piece of information. The song works by itself. Um, but as soon as you know that piece of information, it's like it all just unlocks, you know, um, that it's a, about that. And, um, and I've always known... It's like when I wrote early songs, you know, like when I wrote, you know, like Lee Remick and Karen, that was close. When I wrote The House That Jack Kerouac Built and all those songs from the late 80s, very close to me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always been someone that does that. So the idea that I suddenly moved into suburbia and had a family and children, it was like I didn't freak out. It wasn't like, oh man, you know, like got I've got nothing a, to write about. I've got nothing to yeah. write about, and and my wild, you know, womanizing days where there were, you know, demon women and up all night. <laughs> that's all gone. What am I going to write about? You know, yeah. I was like, oh, new subject matter. You Great. know, it's it's. Um, so I felt comfortable about that. Um, I I think Grant's writing in a way is a lot more linear. I think he he was a lot more a lot of a lot more of his stuff was sort of invented. Um, in a sort of classical poetic way, yeah, uh, more impressionistic, where mine was a little bit more um, gritty and day to day and forthright, maybe. Yeah, in my way, I often didn't know what his songs were about. Did you, know, you like, ask him? No, I didn't. Um, I didn't. You know, 
there are, there are things I wish I'd... Uh, there are many, so many things I wish I'd asked him about. Um, uh, and, that, you know, and that would have been one of them, you know. Something that I really loved reading about, which I didn't know beforehand, was... Um, because one of my all-time favourite... Actually, I, I wouldn't even say it's one of my all-time favourite go-between songs. It's one oh. of my all-time favourite songs mm. is Finding You. Yeah. Um, the melody in that yeah. kills me every time. Yeah. And what I loved reading in the book was that you wrote that together. It was yeah. one of the few songs yeah. um, later on that you guys both had, you know, a, a verse. Yeah, um, yeah. How many songs were there that you actually worked together on in that way? We you used to do that when you first started, right? And then it yeah. became a bit more segregated. Yeah. Um, I was always a lot more, I could do words. I could write, you know, like someone could just arrive every day at my door with 10 melodies and I could write 10 lyrics. Um, and Grant knew that. And, and Grant was a lot more melodically gifted than I was. And so it's a natural thing where I... I He'd have just all these melodies, and I could just go. Well, I can take that one. Um, so, like on on the album before, like too much of one thing, like a song. I wrote. I wrote that one. Um, the weird thing was, I both those songs had him in them, you know, um, which was which was a little bit uh, a, a weird. Um, I should have gone more sideways, but that just shows you that I have to write close, you know, like so if Grant gives me a melody, I'll think I'll write a song about him, you know, uh, <laughs> which is dangerous. Yeah. You shouldn't write songs about people that are really uh, close to you like that. But um, <laughs> but I couldn't help it really. And he was such he was such a rich character. You know, I was like, God, I could write 30 songs about you, you know, because Grant was, was just so complex um, and I knew him so well. Um and like with with finding you, you know, it it was, I know, and he'd he'd had a relationship with this woman that lived in this house that he was living in down in Julia Street, down down in New Farm, and um, and she'd gone to Tasmania and he'd gone to visit her, and uh, and it, it just fitted with this finding you idea, you know, that he had the chorus, and and it just sort of really fell into place mm. and just fell into his whole. The, he had the chorus. I read them. You know, it was it's it's a classic. You you read about those Lennon McCartney things. You know, and I read those and I go, I know exactly what that is. Yeah. You know, I know exactly it's a what. Yeah, what yeah. they're doing. You yeah. know, it's like I got this bit, and and um, but there there was a, a couple. There's another one called uh, uh, Casanova's Last Words, which uh, which is a great song. It, it's a B side. It should have been on an album in the late eighties, but. Um, but and Grant had a lyric for that, and they were going to be recorded around this time of Sixteen Lovers Lane, and he said to me, um, "There'd be periods when he'd turn to me and he'd say, oh, you know, like we're going to record that this old song Casanova's last night words for a B side, you know, do you want to write a new lyric for it?" And so I I rewrote a whole lyric, and that's the one that got recorded. Yeah. Um, another song called Apples in Bed, um, which is a very me title. <laughs> and and I wrote that, and and I hadn't heard that for many years. It's going to be on a box set that's coming out. Oh great! Um, on the go betweens over this period um, in the late eighties, and I hadn't heard it for many years. And so it's really weird to hear Grant Hing sing all these words that I'd written of of the song that um, people thought he'd written. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um I recently played some keyboards with Adele, who's on oh, yeah. the go betweens. And um, we played People Say mm. and it's got the most fun to play organ part yeah. of all time. Did Good. you play that? Who played no, that? No, no, no. A school friend called Malcolm oh. Kelly. Um, he played that and um, I love that. I've, I've played that with a couple of times and the people have played that. And, <laughs> and at the time I thought it was, I thought it was good. And, um, but then, you know, like he was a school friend who just came in, you know, yeah. for one day. And uh, you know he he, yeah, it's lovely. It's, it's very nice. It's really actually quite complicated timing wise. Oh yeah, like, and I don't know if that's because that was a there was an innocence about his playing, or if there it was. was actually really no. He he deliberate. played bass. He was a really good bass player. Yeah, and he was a lot more musical. Yeah, um, right. So he was about the only person. See, this was Brisbane punk times, and like everyone just played one instrument. You know, like that—that that was the thing about 
I've just thought about this recently too, you know, like everyone the go-betweens up until Amanda could just play one instrument. You know, like uh, everyone now don't know, I can play a bit of drums, I can play a bit of keyboards, I can play a bit of bass, I can play a bit of guitar. Virtually every musician you know can do half of that or something. But around punk and post-punk, everyone had just started in bands and and all that sort of music thing was looked down on. And so everyone just played one instrument. And so to try and find someone that played keyboards, I didn't know anyone in Brisbane around punk that could play keyboards. And so I had to ask, uh, you know, my school friend yeah. um, to come in and he played that, yeah. That's cool. So mm. we were talking earlier about, um, you know, not feeling like any of us are, are really classically trained yeah. amazing musicians. Yeah. I suppose that comes a little bit out of that period where you're just hanging out with people that you like and starting a band together. Do you think that music now has lost its innocence a bit or its spontaneity because p- people are going to study and, and you know, not just you're not just hanging out with people that you like and starting a band anymore? I think so. I think also I think what was interesting about, especially post-punk, which I think is like historically um, a more inventive and better period of music than punk, um, a lot of pe- like a lot of at that time, a lot of people, because music was so exciting, a lot of people that I knew in bands and and then bands um, that I didn't know but were developing in New York and London and Berlin, Los Angeles, Sydney, Melbourne, a lot of people that were photographers or in the movies or artists joined bands, started bands because rock and roll was so exciting. And suddenly all that, you had to be able to play Led Zeppelin four. You had to, you know, have, you know, all those riffs off, you know, the first four Black Sabbath albums down to even, you know, form a band. And then if you want to get gigs, you had to have two and a half hours of cover versions. That put anyone that went into rock and roll for a bit of a lark out of the picture, Yeah, you know. And so with punk and post-punk, a lot of, you know, amateur people who just saw the excitement suddenly and the reinvention and you only had to play for 20 minutes and you only had to go dun, 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 dun on a keyboard <laughs> or, or, you know, like go A to B on a bass guitar, you know, all downstrokes just with one finger. It, it gives the music a certain freshness yeah. and spontaneity. And it, it meant that a lot of people, by 1982 it was all over, you know, like all those people had gone back to being artists or being photographers. Or, you know, they kept on going at the same time. Um, and it was only us that were in band, you know, to make, you know, like started as musicians in a way who kept going. Mm. Um, but it was a period where a lot of people jumped in. Actors, actors were in bands. You know, 22-year-old actors, 20-year-old actors who picked up a saxophone at a party. And suddenly they're in a band the next day, you know, which wouldn't happen in 1972, you know, or 968. But it, it happened in 1978, 79. Yeah. And it gives that music a certain um, life and um, – which I think um, is a period that's never going to go out of fashion. Yeah. You know? I think I miss that now. As so many people are so over-educated about music It now. is. It is. It is. And, and – um, and and then once you get to what you can do with Pro Tools, um, which is another like tightening of the nut, you know, what you can do with Pro Tools in terms of eliminating speeding up or slowing down yeah. or auto-tuning vocals or is another crunch on top of um, that just sort of maybe is tightening music to – I find music, um, some music, so thick now you know yeah. like, there's so many overdubs and there's so many to. so many time shifts and so much it's quite dense you know mm. have you ever got into home recording speaking of pro tools no 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 i've never been uh i had a four track for a while yeah um because i found it good for songwriting yeah um but i've always been a, a big fan of the romance of leaving the house and going somewhere off to record i've used that as a an excuse to travel yeah. and go to other places. Uh, I like the romance. I've looked at too many photos of the 60s and <laughs> the Beatles in an Abbey Road or Bob Dylan in, in a cathedral-like studio and gone, 
that's where I want to be. I don't want to, you know, I, I live in a house. Yes. I don't want to record in a house. Do you feel the pressure though of being in the studio? Do you, or do you, do you thrive off that? I thrive. That's great. That's so unusual. Most people I talk to are like, I hate it because it's so expensive and... No, 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 no. I, I mean, that, there's pressure, but it's like to me if I, if you know, if I was an actor, and someone said to me, "You can only act in your house," <laughs> you know, it'd be like. But even though it makes me nervous, and yeah, I may, maybe I'm being a bit brazen about the recording studio. Maybe it makes me a little bit more nervous. But it's like if I was an actor, I'd, I'd be going, "Yeah, okay, I can be at the uh, at this fantastic theatre." Um. I'll be nervous, but I'm there. Yeah. You know, like it's the big creaky curtains, it's the backstage. I peek through the curtains and there's, you know, a thousand people out there. That's where I want to be. Yeah. You know, even though it, it makes me tense and I'm nervous before I go on, I can't act just in my house. I have to go out. I get that, yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk to you a bit about the the songwriting one-upmanship with Grant, mm-hmm. um, I know that that happens in many duos, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, you know certainly from from what I've seen with Quan and Ben from Regurgitator, uh, they do the same thing. They have the same amount of songs on each record that like you and Grant um, had. How how did that feel to you then? From going to playing in the Go Betweens, where you had that constant one-upmanship, yeah. to then going solo. Mm-hmm. I know you said it was kind of you had a certain freedom about yeah. it, but did you feel like you missed it? The competition angle, I didn't feel that too too intensely, you know. Uh, I think I think part of the reason was when the band started, I wrote all the material virtually for the first two years, and that you, that never leaves you, you know. Um, I I I wrote those songs knowing that Grant was going to write songs and join me, um, but still there was there was that feeling of, you know, I wrote the first three singles. Um, um, oh, Grant co-wrote one song um, But I felt I could carry it um, But in that equation Like looking at it now Grant did incredible guitar work on my songs He was just an amazing guitar player And bass player And so uh, he did amazing things For my my songs And also, you know, like if Grant and I wrote over two years or 18 months, and you pick the best five songs of him and the best five of mine, that's going to be strong. Yeah. You know, that's going to be great. Sure. And You talk a little bit about the the nervousness of seeing what the record label picked as their yeah. favourite on that or one their album. single. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, through singles, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I always came off second best. <laughs> <laughs> well, your songs are cool and his were sweet. Yeah, and that and, was the and, and, and Grant immediately you put a microphone in front of, you know, both our mouths. You know, I sound like Lou Reed, and and he sounds like you know Jim Morrison. You know, it's like, <laughs> or you know, uh, oh God, you know, Glenn Campbell or something. You know, like I'm I'm not in the race. You know, like my voice is quite idiosyncratic. So for a producer coming in, I you know I knew that. You know, like I was like, wow, he writes more melodic songs. You know traditional sense yeah uh and he sings in a more traditional sense you know that bigger more commercial voice so of course any producer's going to go um uh put that easy listening one yeah 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 but but i think um um and so i mean that that was difficult for me um, but but more difficult was 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 certain times in the band's career. Mainly just once where I, I thought, um, you know, like uh, I always wanted, especially around that time, uh, us to be a little bit wilder and more confrontational and a little bit more out there. Um, but that didn't happen. I wanted to talk to you also about. So you did lots of writing and uh, music critique. That seems like an area that has changed a lot now too. With you know, everyone has a computer and an opinion now. Yeah, yeah. You talk a lot in the book about you know waiting for reviews from important people yeah. that that you would look up to. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that, that now? Do you still do music critique? No. Do you think it's just a completely different ball game now? I think the basics of it all is still the same. 
you know, like like uh, you hear a record, you go to a concert. I actually wrote something. First time I wrote something last Sunday came out, Saturday, 1,500 words I wrote about Bob Dylan for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Uh, that's the first thing I've done in about a year and a half, a year. It just doesn't seem like maybe there's there's the respected reviewers anymore no, no, like there were in no, the 70s no, and 80s. No, <clears throat> that's gone in the 70s and that's what I grew up on. That's gone. But I think the, the basics of it are still the same. The mechanics of it is you listen to a record, you go to a show and you write down your feelings about it. Sure. I mean, I mean that's what it is. But it's a bit maybe it's a bit more anonymous now. Oh know? yeah, it is. It is. It is. It's completely and utterly changed. It's been democratized. Mm. Um which I think is good. Um and perhaps you know like there's there's people that are following like I'll I'll read not so much now but I was a couple of years ago you know I'd read um I'd read Pitchfork, you yeah. know, and I'd read reviews. And I'd read a, a good one and I'd clock the name and I'd go, oh, that's that person again. <laughs> okay. Um, and there was a couple of good reviewers. They seem to have dropped off a bit from Pitchfork. I find um, um, their quality's gone down. Do you still read your own reviews? I read some of it. Um you know, like I'd be lying to you if I went, I don't read anything, <laughs> I can't watch the press. You know, as soon as start people doing that, I, I go, oh, they've really got you. You know, yeah. like, you're in trouble. You know, like you, um, that's not a way to deal with it. No. You know, unless you've been completely and utterly scorched. But um, so I read some of it, you know. I don't read bad ones. Mm. You know, someone will say, oh, have you read that? Um, you know, and some, some people will show me things that are, Deep in the internet, someone will go, oh, they've, so, someone's written about you uh, and I read what someone sent me one the other day that came from Ireland. There was a beautiful piece about myself and Marky Smith oh. and our books. It was a beautiful, beautiful piece and I hadn't seen that. And, th- and like that was really nice to read because the book had come out two years ago yeah. um, or a year ago over there. And so there was a lot of distance and it was like, you know, like a very quite – it was in a literary review magazine and it was really beautifully written and uh, it wasn't just me. It was about um, Marky Smith, you know, we shared the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, being linked with him was very unusual but really well done. And so I could read that. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, oh, my album came out two weeks ago and now yeah. I'm reading a review. And yeah. Um, did you ever meet Marky Smith? No. Oh, I saw him. <laughs> um, I saw him. Um, we're, we're on a festival. I wouldn't even uh, – I admire him and I like him a lot, but I I very rarely meet or want to meet people that I admire. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy to be in the corner of the room watching them and just going, I'm in the room, I love what you do, and somehow – <laughs> Sonically, that goes in a a brainwave into them, and they turn around and go, "Okay, you know, um, <laughs> that's as much as I ever want to do," because um, I find it, uh, you know, I'm just not socially adept and confident enough to do that. Yeah, have you ever had moments where you've you've been for, sort of forced to meet heroes, or you've met someone you've really admired? I've met a few, um, and all the experiences have been good. That's good. you know, um, like I turned. Down, I could have walked into a room and met Patty Smith. Like someone just came out, she's in there. Um, I can bring you in now. And I went, no thanks. <laughs> um, and there's been other ones. Uh, it happened really recently with David Byrne as well. Oh yeah. Uh, but I'd met him before. He he's one person I admired. That I met, that I went backstage. Backstage is horrible. Yeah, I hate backstage. Weird vibe. Oh, weird scene. <laughs> and weird scene. Nothing real. Difficult. Someone's yeah. just been on stage and given everything they've got for an hour and a half, and then people are coming in. You can never expect anything meaningful. Uh, and um, but I I went backstage to him, and he was great. As I said, anyone that I've ever met. Um, 
has been really good. But I haven't met many famous people. Yeah, you avoid it. Yeah, I avoid it, and I've I've never been famous famous enough to meet <laughs> famous people. Really, that's uh, not true. Well, I mean, I never met Bowie. I never met Lou Reed. Mm. I wouldn't want to have met Lou Reed. <laughs> uh, Lenny Cohen, you know, like, um, um, but the people that I I met, um, I'm I sort of met them like any famous person I met. I met them almost before they became famous. Mm. Um, I'm not on a circuit. Where I'm at fashion shows, or <laughs> no, you know, movie yeah. openings. Um, I'm not on a red carpet circuit. Um, I'm not on a party circuit. I'm not in London connected, or Paris connected, or New York connected. Mm. Um, I, um, so I'm not running into people who are already famous. If anything, I met people before they became famous. Well, that's lovely. It's mm. a good way to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I um I wanted to tell you I think I've told you this before but one of my beautiful go-betweens moments in my life was yeah. when I went to New York after I got the Grant McLennan yeah. Fellowship yeah. and um, one of the first nights I was there your friend um, Norman from Teenage Fan Club oh, yeah. played and they played they were introducing that next song they said this is a song by a good friend from Brisbane yeah. Yeah. and um, they talked a bit about you and Grant yeah and. And then they dedicated it to me because I'd been on tour with them for a little while oh. beforehand. Um, and then they played Finding You, which yeah. is, you know, my yeah. favourite go-between song. Yeah. And I just started crying. I just yeah. thought this is – it could yeah. not have been more perfect on yeah. the, the yeah. scholarship that was for Grant yeah. or in, in his name and yeah. in his honour. Yeah. And then Norman, who has one of my favourite voices of all time, you know, he's yeah. such a beautiful singer. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I don't know, I just felt some really amazing presence mm. of all of you there and it was yeah. just bloody lovely. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, <laughs> it's well. really lovely. They are, I saw them the last time they played here. I went down and saw the them. Teenage Fan Club? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it all goes back to Orange Juice in a way. You know, like the, the, the Grant and I met them because Orange Juice are so revered. And so it just sort of goes through Scotland Um through different eras and bands. Yeah. And, uh, and, but that's a beautiful story. And they, you, they were one of the bands that you toured with a lot, um, in the last years. Yeah, they? yeah. They, they were, we, they were the last tour that we ever did, uh, in Europe was with them in Spain. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, it was really, 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 really great. And, uh, but it, it, it goes back to orange juice. It goes back to when, when we when – when it still happens, when I go to Glasgow, it's like, you know, like a second home, you know. And it was just because we're on postcard. We're, Grant and I lived there in 1980. But again, you know, talking about before people come famous, orange juice put out one single. Postcard had just started, you know, to be one of the great indie labels of all time. And there it was. In you know, in a kitchen, you know, um, they put out one record, and they'd ask Grant and I to be there, and we lived there for eight weeks, and that's just started everything that has ever happened. You know, I sang with Bell and Sebastian I at the that, Opera House yeah. um, in May, um, and at the Tivoli, um, came on and did two songs, did an Orange Juice song, we did Rip It Up, um, and, and it goes back to then, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're, you're there in New York listening to, to them. Yeah. Um, but it, it goes back to that. Um, and it just shows you how music can travel. Yeah. You know, it's, it's. And the connections it can yeah. make. It's, it's just, so beautiful. It's, it's amazing. It is beautiful. I feel like from reading your book and from stories that you've told me, mm. it sounds like you've been signed to every record label on the yeah, planet. It does. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. How? What's your relationship like now with um, record labels and? I've and got a good one. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I've got two. I'm signed to uh, uh, EMI here. Yeah. Um, which has been a long-standing thing. I, I'm amazed that they still, you know, like I'm 61, and the fact that I'm still my next album is going to come out with EMI just amazes me. You know, and that's through John O'Donnell who, who yeah. runs the label. And John's incredible and um, the fact that he does that is just amazing because I don't think I'm keeping the label on its feet. <laughs> uh, 
and overseas I've got a really good label in Germany. Yeah. Again, the German connection. The Germans. Um, and so that just does me for Europe. And um, I'm with Australia and New Zealand, car- you know, covered and with uh, Europe covered. Did you ever feel really heartbroken to be dropped off a label? Yeah, um, definitely. Um, we were signed to Rough Trade, uh, again, one of the great labels of the world. And um, we'd made an album called Before Hollywood, which had Catelyn Kane as the lead single. And that was, that came out in 1983. The new band that had just been signed to Rough Trade was The Smiths. I don't even know if their first album had come out yet. Might have, might have had. But definitely This Charming Man was out. And uh, Rough Trade had great acts on it, um, but it was financially chaotic. And uh, we, we'd definitely done one of the best half dozen rock albums that had come out in, in the world that year. It was an amazing, before Hollywood was an amazing album. Yeah, it is. And um, it was on every poll uh, in America, in the UK, through Europe. Every albums of the year, it was there. In a very competitive, you know, like, you know, hip hop was just starting. There was a lot of new pop. There was a lot of experimental albums. There was a lot of great post punk. It was just a wild time for music. And we were right at the top around the world. And they and we deserved, you know, definitely to make another album. You know, it was like making, you know, uh, you know, if the Vampire Weekend had made their first album or Franz Ferdinand had made their first yeah. album and then, then, then the record label gone, you know, we, you know, we don't want you to make a second one. It's like, why? You know. <laughs> yeah. And so there was a financial side to it all. Yeah. Um, that was enormously disappointing. Yeah. At the time, um, we felt gutted. Um, was that because the Smiths were sort of they were, they filling were that hole? Up all the money, yeah. Um, and in, in hindsight, it I, like it was wise, you know. And we'd seen really good bands being dropped from Rough Trade while we were there because there wasn't any money. But the the rising water finally reached our necks, you know. Like we were the next one, and basically we were the last, you know. Um, gang of pirates thrown off the, the, the ship, you know. It was then just rough trade was the Smiths and we were one of the last to go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and sensible business decision but then, you know, artistically and in any sort of sense of justice, it, it was a tough one. And also, you know, we heard the news. We're in New York. It was snowing. We had no money. Um, it was the wrong moment. Mm. And the wrong environment to hear that news. Is there anyone now that you feel? I know that you know when when you uh, we were just talking about this earlier with your kids. You know you you can so easily a band can change your world, can change your yeah. life, and you can get obsessed with things. Yeah. Do you get that anymore? Do you ever find a band now that you're passionate about? Um. Or do you think that just sort of subsides with getting age. older? Yeah, yeah. I think it does. Um, and I think it, it also has something to do with the fact that we were talking about before that I'm not a musician, musician. And so a lot of my inspiration, and this is something I got, uh, I shared very deeply with Grant. When we started the band, the go-betweens, it was like, it's not just going to be music. You know, like we're throwing a love of film, we're throwing a love of literature, we're, we're throwing a love of Gilligan's Island, um, Samuel Beckett. Um, the Love and Spoonful, it's all going in the pot, yeah. you know. And um, the monkeys, you know. And and so um, so I've never been someone that should survive totally on music for inspiration. Um, and so it's waned definitely over the last, probably more than the last 10 years. Like it lasted fairly fully until I was about 50. Yeah. Um, what was the last thing you were obsessed with? Uh, probably Vampire Weekend. Yeah. You know, I love their first album. Um, and I, I love the whole three. Yeah. Um, and I think it was because I reckon, to me, they, they were in a line of groups um, that I could see. The first one was Love and Spoonful, which I just mentioned. Yeah. Basically, it's, it's, it's very, very unpretentious, clever pop. There's just got great melody and great lyrics. Very simple formula. And the Love and Spoonful had it. 
And the next New York band that I think had it was Talking Heads. Yeah. Who, who, who I adored. And in a way, this was the next band after that. You know, like I see the three bands in a line. And so I loved the production. It was really clean. They hadn't gone – they made it themselves. They, they hadn't gone and been signed and then got a, a slick producer. It, it had the feel like a real vibe record. I loved the songs. Um, and so I really liked them. Um, and but that's a that's a long time ago. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about literate? Do you get do you get? Yeah, I get a lot more books? out of books. Yeah. You know, like I feel as if I've almost listened to everything that yeah. I want to listen to. And but the weird <laughs> thing is, I thought it killed my songwriting. I thought, wow, you don't listen to as much music as you used to. But I'm still writing even more songs or better songs, and I'm really happy with my songwriting. It quite surprises me. Right. But I'm still picking up things. Um, I'll do just songs, um, which I sort of have gone back to a little bit like that, which is how I started right at the beginning, like listening to the radio when I was in Brisbane in the late 60s, late 70s, and I was a, a wee boy. Um, <laughs> it was songs. It, I didn't have an album collection. And so it's almost gone back to that. And so I really like, um, like this year, um, um, it's, it, it's, it's very unhip in a way, but I really like... Uh, four Stars Out of Five by um, Arctic Monkeys. Yeah. And I'll, I bought that album. Like, that's the first album I've got in a while. And well, I really. How did you get that one? It was weird. I, <laughs> it, it, because I really liked that song. And, and, um, and, and I heard the album was, was like that song. And they, they did some good things. Um, like, I, I sort of came in Arctic Monkeys on their sixth album, you know. The other five I don't know. Um, and it was – I was sort of – I like the, the fact that they didn't put out a single before the album. It wasn't, here's our fourth single from – you know, so it meant that when you got the album, you didn't know it, which is the way that things operated from up until about 1995. You know, it was like you bought the album as a mystery, you know. You might hear the lead single. Um, great. You yeah. know, um, that's <laughs> good. Instead of like, oh, I've already heard four tracks on the internet and it's got eight tracks on the album or ten tracks. So I like the way that they just went, we're not going to put out singles before. We, you know, you're going to have to take this as an album experience. And I went, great, I like that. Yeah. That interests me quite straight away. And then, then I just heard four stars out of five and then I've listened to the album and, you know, like I just like a band that is huge and then just makes a spectacular left turn, you know. The <laughs> the album's really good. It's it's very much. It never breaks out of virtually one tempo, which is sort of slow mid tempo. Yeah, right. There's no singles. I haven't heard uh, it. I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, it's it's really you have to get used to him. You know, it's all lyrics, and it's just sort of um, stream of conscious. Some of it's really good. Some of it's stupid. Um, <laughs> And I like the attitude. I like the whole sort of 70s LA washed up feel that they're going for, French pop. Um, and they've, they've done it with a new way. There's no screaming guitars, which I've really? never been a fan of. Yeah, right. It's all sort of a lot of keyboard orientated um, with sort of the bass sort of sounds like, you know, Serge Gansberg, 1971. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. But I want to ask you my last question, oh, yeah. which is – so this is the question that someone is going to draw. Oh, yeah, Okay. Um, can you tell me one of your strangest show experiences or just one of the strangest things that's happened to you because you play music? In 1984, 80, it's 84, 85, I thought about this. Um, this, this, this was um, definitely, I think, the strangest show that the Go Betweens ever did. We, we went to Adelaide we were at this club and, and, you know, we didn't know Adelaide, you know, like we'd been there once or twice before on tour. And we went down to Soundcheck and it was just, you know, the black box, you know, like, you know, like no vibe, no feeling. Uh, typical rock club still to this day but particular of that time. And we went down, we went in the dressing room and I walked in and I, I saw this, this run sheet, this sheet of paper on the wall and it had um, 12 o'clock Charlene, 12.15, Jody. 12.30, 
sherry. <laughs> you know, um, Uh-oh. and I, I looked at that and I thought, and names, women's names at every quarter of an hour, 20 minutes. And I was looking at that and, I, and you know, the band's in the room and we just got in and I'm just thinking, what is this? What, what's this? And I almost turned the band and then it hit me. You know, it's a strip club. Yeah. And, and I just thought, oh God, you know, it was like, it depressed me. Yeah, you know, it, of course. It, it was like, and it was a strip club for the lunch hour. Like that, that's what that was, I assume. Do you know what I mean? Kind of, you know, I mean, the strip club might have opened at midnight, but I assumed it was a day strip club. And it just sort of depressed me that, you know, like here we are, we've made three or four albums. Um, and, you know, like this is where we're playing, yeah. you know. Um, and it was quite th- – I got really drunk that night, you know, on stage. And, um, and it, you know, like we're on tour. We've been on the road a while. So, you know, like I wasn't in a – you know, I wasn't in a great mood. Um, yeah, it, it was just like really surprising, you know, because like, I just – you know, we'd, we'd played through Europe. We'd played through the USA. We'd played around Australia. We'd been, you know, like touring – and that's sort of for a couple of years, you know, making records on and off. And so it wasn't like I was, you know, like 20 and this is the third gig we'd ever done. Yeah. And it was just like, um, I don't know, it was just depressing. Yeah. You know, and and totally unexpected, you know, like, I, and I can remember just trying to decode this, you know, like, because, you, know, you, know, you know, when you go to a, a venue and you go in the dressing room, you're immediately trying to make yourself familiar. You know, yes. so you're looking at the walls and you're looking at, you know, the fridge and you're looking, you know, for science. It's like this is my new little, little rabbit hole for the next 12 hours, yeah. or, you know, from yeah, – yeah. and this is your home, you know. And I was like, what is – you know, I've been used to graffiti all around the world sure. and <laughs> all kinds of weird shit, you know. But this was – and uh, but that was a very, very bizarre thing. And you, did you spiral? Did you think, oh, no, yeah, what I am did. I doing I, with my no, life? I did spiral and it was like <laughs> – you know, I was like, what the fuck are we doing playing strip clubs? Yeah. You know, like, and it was, you know, and you start to think, who's who's booking our gigs? Yeah. You know, like, whose sort of idea is it? Go Between's coming to town. Um, yeah, let's put them into, you know, the Roxy or whatever. Sure. You know. It was like, I, you know, so we're dealing with people that won't be at the show. We're on the system where we're being booked into... Uh, you know this. Yeah. You know it's it start you start to make associations, and that becomes uh, depressing. Of course, yeah. Well, that sounds like a bummer. It but was, <laughs> as long as there was no strippers on stage with you. No, no, no. It it, <laughs> it wasn't, and um, you know, I mean Brisbane was the same at that time. You know, it, Adelaide was a wild west town in yeah. the eighties. It was it was pretty on edge, yeah. Um, so this wasn't totally and utterly unexpected. Well, you you weren't playing around like poles or anything. There might have been, <laughs> there might have been, there, there there must have been one on stage. And you saying that actually rings a bell. <laughs> um, but it was a classic, you know. It was just this black thing with a black mirrored bar and. But, you know, like I just remember the paper and the gig and my feelings at the time. Yeah. There, there might have actually been, you know, like a bit of costumes or, you know, glitter and there might have been a bar there on stage, a stripper's bar. But it wouldn't have been in the centre. Maybe it was movable. I don't know if they are. But, you know, it could have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just, you know, like being in – you know, like it brought, brought back – it was almost like a little bit – Oh God! You know, I mean, I'm 26. I'm in a rock band. You know, it was like not a good feeling. Where you know, if you're still in a rock band at 26, you should feel good. Yeah. You know, like like that's a, a good, uh, worthwhile thing to do. Um, yeah. And you were making amazing albums. Yeah, yeah. We we were. It was a total sort of non-alignment with what we were as people, and um, uh, and artistically, what we're trying to do. And the predicament we found ourselves in, you know, mm. um, and, you know, it was unfortunate. Yeah. 
Hey, thank you so much so, for talking pleasure. to me. Pleasure. I really appreciate you making the time and thank you for the thank you for the questions and the <laughs> well the, the talk because it's you know it's not a normal interview. Do you know no, I mean? and you know we've already spoken for two hours before this with yeah. around cake and tea, and it uh, was it's a continuation, so lovely <laughs> continuation of the casual. Thing. Thank you, That's Robert. Fine. No problem. No problem.